I have now unmuted the face mic. So it doesn't sound like I'm yelling at you when I get up here to say good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. I want to welcome our visitors. Uh, if you have not had a chance to fill out that card that's on the back of the pew in front of you, please do so so we can have a record of your attendance. We would really appreciate that. You'll get a special letter in the mail inviting you to sign up for an extended car warranty. But that'll be about as far as we go with it. No, I'm, we're not going to do that to you. We do appreciate you being here. If you have some time to stick around afterward, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, as we go through this, I want to remind everyone that life groups are continuing to meet today. And if you have not looked at your calendar lately, I will ask you to because on the last Sunday of this month, that is a fifth Sunday. And so the elders have decided that we're going to do our fellowship meal that day as normal. Boy, somebody's excited about that. And then afterward... Yeah, since all of the elders and ministers are life group leaders, the decision was made that we would not do our regular life group meeting, that we would just come back in here and do one big life group discussion out of the book. Again, if you have a life group and you want to meet later on that day and just hang out, I don't think that would be a problem, but understand that the discussion aspect of it is going to be after the fellowship meal on that Sunday. And speaking of fellowship meals, there's one coming up this Saturday at Jeremy and Sonny's house. And we're going to cook a lot of meat, but we need to know how much meat to cook. Somebody was excited about that. I think it was one of the... Oh, okay. We need to know how much meat to cook. So if you have not RSVP'd with me yet, remember, RSVP's to meat, not to Sonny. Uh, RSVP either to my phone or to the Facebook post to let me know how many of you are coming. And if you have the same last name of others in the congregation, tell me if you're the old ones or the young ones so that I can know which groups are coming. The Drymans tried to pull that. I was like, you know, you got to tell me if you're the old ones or the young ones. Yeah, so let us, let us know so we know how much meat to provide. We're going to provide the meat. You provide the chairs and buns. And what I should say is we're going to provide the meat. You provide the buns and the chairs to put them in. Okay. And we'll see you guys this Saturday. The following Saturday, Fellowship and Firearms out at Joey and Diana's place. Super thankful for all of the work that Joey did out there to get a range set up for us. Also, he en enlisted some highly qualified and good-looking help to drive T-Posts this last week to get, finish up the setup out there. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, if you're planning on coming, go ahead and throw your John Hancock on there so we know how many people are going to be in attendance for that as well. Remember that you're going to want to bring hearing protection, lawn chairs, just so you can be comfortable while we're fellowshipping. And finally, before we get into the lesson, you may have noticed uh, that there is a name missing from your newsletter this morning. John Sigmund has recently decided that it was time for him to step out of his role as treasurer. He served Boulevard for decades, and he has done a fantastic job in his service uh, to Boulevard. And we want to express our appreciation. The elders want to express their appreciation as well to John and all of his years of service that he's done, but he's decided that it's time to take a step out of that. Continue to pray for John and Deborah yeah, as they continue to work and worship with us. And if you get a chance this morning, or make a chance, I shouldn't say if you get a chance, make a chance to shake John's hand and thank him for all of the work and effort that he's put in for the last, how, 25 years, John? Some, some, somewhere along those lines. It's been a long time. So keep him in your prayers. We're in Mark chapter 16 this morning, if you want to open up your Bibles over there. We've gotten to the end of Mark's gospel. 
Uh, and we've been looking at, as we've been going through it chapter by chapter, looking at the path that Jesus is leading us down as we're following him as disciples. And we've talked about, just as quick review, we've talked about how this path that Jesus is leading us down is a path of authority and that we, the same authority that Jesus operated under that we're still expected to operate under as well. It's a path of hope that we're expected to carry with us. It's a path of justice. It's a path that looks out for God's interests first and leaving everything to follow him. And that means following him in the easy times and the difficult times. Remaining calm, not panicking, even in death as we look at what we're doing. And Mark takes us to the point. By the time we get to the end of Mark's gospel, we are now left to answer the question, are you going to follow Jesus or not? And that is where he leaves us. He leaves us with that question and whether or not we will answer yes or no. And it's really a simple choice, isn't it? How many of us make the choice constantly to follow Jesus? I do. And I think that's normal in our Christian walk that we find ourselves in scenarios and situations where we just have to make the choice, am I going to follow Jesus or not in this? And most of us probably face that choice every morning when we get in our car and drive somewhere. How many of us consider the speed limit as a choice of following Jesus or not? Do you think Jesus sped? No, because he rode a donkey everywhere and they're slow. But if Jesus was alive today and driving a car, do you think Jesus would speed? Now I know, I've gone straight from preaching to meddling. But these are the choices we make, and, so, and it's what we might even consider as insignificant. They are all decisions on that. And it's an easy choice, isn't it? <coughs> on paper. But where's the challenge come in? Actually doing it, the application of it. And here's what happens, at least I do it at times, I'm sure you do it as well. When it comes time for application of do I follow Jesus or not in any given situation I find myself in, uh, we overcomplicate things, don't we? And is anybody here besides Jeremy just overcomplicate things on the whole obedience thing? Right? We overcomplicate things and we were like, oh, it just becomes so much more difficult to do it this way. Uh, and if I would just do it, if we could handle it this way, it would be so much easier. But what happens when we overcomplicate things is we forget that we are supposed to be applying faith to the equation through this. Faith is an expected part of the journey. We combat, like we talked about in class this morning, appearances and expectations versus reality, allowing ourselves to be led by God. And that's what Mark chapter 16 actually deals with, expectations versus reality. What does it look like to follow Jesus in my mind, and what does it actually look like to follow Jesus in reality? And I don't want to get into this morning why some manuscripts don't have verses 9 and 10. That's a study for you guys to do on your own. We just don't have the time to get into it. And I don't want to get into why the two sentences at the end are italicized or in the right place. That's a study for you guys to do on your own. What I actually want to do this morning is look at three women that are talked about in the text. And I want us to look at what they discover in, the, in this journey as they're going to Jesus's tomb. So Jesus has died. We've seen his death. Uh, and he dies on the day of preparation. That, we get that from John chapter 19. Now, the day this is the day before the Sabbath. His body is laid in a tomb that is owned by Joseph of Arimathea. We get that from Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Now, Matthew records some details for us 
to help us fill in the gaps of what Mark does not reveal to us about this whole day and everything that's going on. So you look at Matthew chapter 27 and verses 62 through 66, we're told, now on the next day, the day after the preparation, and the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, sir, we remember that when he, that's Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he's risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the tomb. So where we find ourselves is this tomb has now been sealed. It is under guard. The Sabbath has been observed. And Jesus' body still needs its final preparation in the minds of these ladies that are coming to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jacob, and Salome go to the tomb knowing this has to happen. And so we read in Mark chapter 16, first eight verses, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who's been crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold, Here's the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they, had, and they said, excuse me, nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Okay, understand what's going on here. The fact that they are bringing spices to the tomb tells us that they fully expected to find Jesus' body there. There was no other scenario in their mind. Jesus' body was there. We're bringing the spices because we need to prepare his body. And their one concern through all of this is who will roll the stone away for us? That's, the, that's what they're discussing as they're on the way to the tomb. Essentially, what they're really asking here is, how am I going to honor the one who died with this large hindrance in front of me? How am I going to be able to do and bring honor to him, to Jesus, with this in the way? And their expectations are shattered when they arrive at the tomb. Not only to find that someone had rolled the stone away, but now the tomb is empty, apart from this young man sitting there inviting them to see where Jesus had been laid and to give them the news that Jesus had been raised from the dead. See, the stone meant, in the minds of these women, I'm convinced that the stone meant that Jesus was still dead and in the tomb. If Jesus is still dead and buried, there's no hope. 
In Luke 24, Luke records for us the conversation that he was having with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they say, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Jesus will respond, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Lack of faith, lack lack of actually knowing and having faith in what Jesus had said has led people to hopelessness. And guys, if there's no hope, if there's no resurrection, if there's no hope, you remember what Paul says about that? That we are of all men most to be pitied. So these women, put put yourself in their mindset for a second. These women came expecting this insurmountable difficulty in front of the tomb. And they had no answer on how to get around that. Not even realizing that heaven had already answered the problem. And let's just be upfront on this in a far better way than they ever imagined, Right? I think too many times we live as if the the stone is still in front of the tomb. As if the Lord is too weak to to overcome difficulties and hindrances. That's why the scripture reading was from Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 2. Did you notice what God was saying there? When he says, Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom or I have no power to deliver? And God says, I I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Stink for lack of water and die of thirst. The attitude that is being dealt with is the question, does God have power to deliver? Does God have the power to overcome hindrances and difficulties. Is his hand too short to ransom? When you reach out for him in your difficulty and struggle, when you reach out for him in the hindrance, does God pull up short because his arm ain't long enough? He's got like T-Rex arms. He's trying to save you, but he can't. Is that the attitude we have about the God we serve? Or do we just keep the stone in front of the tomb because of that belief? When when the reality to the answer of that question is my arm too short that it cannot ransom, or I have no power to deliver, the answer is yes, Lord, you do have the power to ransom. You do have the power to deliver. Why does he have the power, guys? Have we ever stopped to consider why there is that power there? Why did we put our faith in Jesus? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 through 12, Paul writes, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. 
Do we see what's happening here? Do we see what's going on in Mark chapter 16 when these women come with an expectation that Jesus is still dead and buried and the stone is still in front of the entrance to the tomb? That heaven now opens the path to reconciliation and redemption. Heaven did that. No one else did. That through Jesus' resurrection, we now have the opportunity for salvation, the opportunity to be redeemed. The only hindrance is when you put the stone back in front of the tomb. And you know who does that, right? We do. We do. And I think we do that in a variety of ways. I think initially we do it by just refusing to accept that he is actually alive. I think that we do it by refusing to accept that God's purpose for humanity and mankind was accomplished in his son. But I think it can be done in other ways, like secret sin, Those sins, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those sins that we find ourselves struggling with over and over and over again. And why do, why, why do we continue to struggle with them? Is it because we believe that our Lord's arm is too short to ransom? And he has no power to save? Another way I think we put the stone in front of the tomb is difficulties, challenges. And we find ourselves like the women walking to the tomb saying, man, I know what my expectation is, I know what I got to do, but man, who's just, there's just this huge hindrance in front of me and this difficulty in front of me, and I need, I, I, can't, I can't take care of it, I just can't figure out how that's going to get removed. <laughs> when heaven is standing there, God is standing there waiting for waiting for you to acknowledge that he can do it. And he says, here, let me take care of that. We don't have to roll the stone away. God's already done it. He's already taken care of that. You know the only power we actually have in this whole scenario? He's putting it back. That's the only real power we have in all of this, is putting that stone back, putting the hindrances back in front of us instead of by faith just walking according to reality instead of expectations and appearances. And I think far too often we find, our, find ourselves slaves to expectation and, and appearances instead of following the reality of Jesus. Do we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today? I know that he is living, no matter what men may say. Didn't we just sing that, Stephen? Let God do what he wants to do with you. 
Let him have control. Let loose of your expectations and let loose of your faith in appearances and put your faith in him. We talked about this in our Bible class this morning, that Sarah had faith in him who promised. Amazing things happen with Sarah. Amazing things can happen with us as well. The path that Jesus leads us to is life outside of a tomb. Let's follow him on it. Let's live with him in this. This is one of the great things I think about Christianity. I'm going to get on a soapbox a little bit here for a second. So often we think of Christianity as this stifling tomb that we can't do anything. We can't live and we've got to walk around like we're Frankenstein's monster. He promises this life. Let's live, man. Let's actually get out there and live. You ain't got to walk around looking like you were weaned on a pickle. Have some joy in this thing. Live. That's what our master does. And we're going to stand and sing the song that Stephen's got selected for us. Let this be a moment of encouragement for everyone. Let's not put the hindrances back in front of us that the Lord has already removed for us. Let's actually live the way he has called us to live. Not out of fear, but out of joy knowing what he has accomplished for us and what he wants to accomplish in the lives of those that we come into contact with. We can be his people in this time, in this place. But perhaps you're struggling with that. You put hindrances up in front. Maybe you've made them to be out, uh, something bigger in your own mind than what it actually is. Maybe you're struggling with secret sin and ready to just lay that thing out and open so that the Lord can heal you from that, forgive you of it. Put, he put all of us here as this source of encouragement and accountability and, and help through all of this. Don't listen to the lie that Satan tells you that you need to keep the stone in front of the tomb because you're the only one struggling with that particular sin. Because I know that's not true. That all of us here have dealt with it in one way or another, maybe even specifically. And that's why God put us in this place for each other. If we can help you, if you're ready to become a Christian by being baptized, being freed from sin, being raised as this new creature, following Jesus, whatever it is that we can do for you, the elders encourage you to make that known by coming forward while we stand and sing.